I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often in hours. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one-day rule on its head and offer back-to-back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code DATABLE and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. The Dateable Podcast is an insider's look into modern dating that the Huffington Post calls one of the top 10 podcasts about love and sex. On each episode, we'll talk to real daters about everything from sex parties to sex droughts, date fails to diaper fetishes, and first moves to first loves. I'm your host, Yue Xu, former dating coach turned dating sociologist. You'll also hear from my co-host and producer, Julie Kraftchik, as we explore this crazy dateable world. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Dateable, a show all about modern dating where we dig, dig, dig into (laughs) the whys of people's behavior, why people behave and say and do the things that they do when it comes to modern dating. This was another eventful crazy week. You're like, 2020, what else you got? It's only October, (laughs) give it to us. But Trump with the COVID news. I didn't believe it at first. I admit I was very skeptical of it, but now I'm starting to come around. I mean, the fact that it's like spread to a bunch of different people in the White House. I don't know. I mean, obviously wish him health, you know, like you never want to wish someone not health, but it's so crazy to me that like him and all the people in the White House just have not been wearing masks. That and it proved to me that uh, nobody's safe. 
And no. I think we kind of forgot about COVID for a little bit. We're yes. like, oh, things are opening up and I can start eating out. I can start taking Ubers. And then you're like, fuck, if the president can catch COVID, nobody is safe. And this is exactly why I had this conversation with my friend Frances, who is all about just being healthy and keeping healthy. And she's like, you ain't, you got to stay hydrated. So Julie, I don't know if you've seen this, but I got this <laughs> ginormous water bottle. For anyone who can't see this, you gotta watch. Uh, it's like our YouTube filling video. up the entire screen on YouTube. It's like bigger than UA's head. I have never seen a water bottle this big. I love that you're like, I have something special to share with you, and wouldn't say what, and this is it. This is my surprise <laughs> to you. This water bottle. Okay, so she sent me the link. Francis, love you for it. But on the link, this water bottle looks super cute. I was like, oh. I could take that around. I did not think about how big one gallon was. You get a gallon of milk, right? Which lasts you like a week or two. This is a gallon of water you're supposed to drink on a daily basis. And when I got it in the mail, I was like, fuck, I got to drink this whole thing in a day. I'm just peeing every hour and like every 30 minutes, hoping that I can flush out any chances of COVID. That's that's my goal. Is this the new hot drink chlorioxide <laughs> trick? I'm just kidding. Thanks. Thanks for that. I'm definitely going to do it. I, I'm, I'm not going to get one that big. I'll, I'll <laughs> be on the hydration challenge, but I'm not getting that water bottle that you just shared. So that's out. But I think a gallon is a little bit overboard. <laughs> it's a little overboard. <laughs> definitely a reminder that COVID's not gone. I think that was loud and clear in the fact that like people that were thinking this was a hoax is now like, oh, wait, something's happening. I don't know. I feel I don't want to spread conspiracy theories, so I oh. won't go too deep. But I you just, won't be I, the only one. I don't know if I fully believe it, which is sad because it's like that is saying so much already. I was talking to a friend about it and she was like, the fact that you are even questioning it, and not just me, there's like a ton of mm -hmm. people questioning it, just mm -hmm. says so much about our country and the, the divide and all of that. So one thing we've been talking about forever that we really want to do now that it's, you know, election time is we would love to do a dating experiment mm -hmm. about having two people with opposing political views. Like we've done some polls on Facebook and everyone gets very heated around this topic. So like, could people with opposing views really dig each other? Like, is it possible? And there's a couple theories, right? It's a, it's about do opposites attract? <laughs> but mm -hmm. then if you don't have similar values and beliefs, could you overcome that if everything else falls into place? So we are looking for people who are first and foremost single. <laughs> that is <laughs> the criteria. That is, that is a must. <laughs> also very passionate about politics and willing to be set up on a date with someone who may have opposite political views. I'm like tempted to do it. It sounds really interesting because I feel like there's so many stereotypes that go with the opposing view. Like it would be really interesting to see like if that breaks down. I know it's a sample size of one. It's not a scientific study, but it would still be super interesting to get, you know, like a real life example. And who doesn't want to be set up and then be interviewed on the Dateable podcast? It's like a, exactly. It's like a bucket list <laughs> item everyone should have. <laughs> I feel like all the people that we've done this with have like now, you know, 
just made so much strides in their dating life, whether to find that person or just get more confident on their own. So it is a win-win for everyone. I want to say this too. I want to emphasize the goal of this experiment is not to make fun of people with political beliefs that we personally, Julie and I personally may not believe in. It's just purely to see it's a social experiment and we're not here to reprimand, make fun or offend anybody. It's just to see if two people with opposing political beliefs can get along and maybe develop something romantically. That's it. Exactly. No judgment zone here. Everyone has a right to their beliefs, which is a reminder. You know, this is our PSA that we have to do as podcasters is to go vote. No matter what your political lines are, like, again, we're not going to spew political advice. We might have opinions, but we're never going to like tell people they're right or wrong. But definitely exercise your vote. Because I think especially like with all of this happening with Trump getting COVID and all that, that doesn't sideswipe this election and how important it is. And if you are in the camp of saying, well, I live in a state where my vote wouldn't really matter because everybody would vote the same way I do. Imagine if everybody in your state were like even 50% of people in the state felt the same way you did and they didn't go vote. That's a problem. And that's why your vote does count, even though if you think that your one little vote can't really sway anything, that's not how it works. I will say, I know people are like, oh, I don't want to vote for either candidate. So I either won't vote or I'll vote for someone else on the ticket that's clearly not going to win. At at the end of the day, if you do that, you're just not voting. So like exercise your vote. Who is the better of both? You know, just it's it's our right. It's us making a voice. It's the best thing you can do in November. It's coming up. It's coming up. It's going to be a crazy month. That's for sure. (laughs) It's already crazy. October 1st, it got crazy. I know. I saw that some people had already started their 2021 calendars. Like they're not even looking at the rest of 2020. (laughs) (laughs) But there's still so much more that could be happening. It's like a really good, I guess, a really interesting TV show that still has four more episodes left or something. You know, you're like, what? There were so many memes about that. There was like, here's the plot twist for October. (laughs) Trump has COVID. You can't make this shit up. I mean, yeah. There's also conspiracy theories about the whole election getting postponed. Oh, yeah. We'll get too deep into them. But yeah, it's going to be a wild ride. I've seen some people that were doing like sober October. I think like Joe Rogan's like... Um, podcast group does that and they were like I don't know if we can do a sober October because (laughs) this shit's about to get real in October (laughs) yeah as I take a sip from my gallon water bottle that's actually filling that with vodka by the end (laughs) you always like on the call just like (laughs) oh hey just being hydrated (laughs) that's all Listen, let's get to our would you rather because I I, there was so much discussion around this. I want to make sure we get to all the points. The would you rather for last week was if you found out the next time you'll fall in love is five years from now and you had the ability to time travel, Julie's favorite thing. (laughs) Would you rather A, head to five years from now or B, stay put and wait it out? So I have some clarifying questions. (laughs) Of course. Do you lose the five years? Yes. Like you lose them from your life. Yes. Is COVID is COVID like able to be fast forwarded in those five years? Because that also makes a difference. Who knows? There are a lot of unknowns. 
in five, in the five years, okay. a lot of unknowns. So my friend Emily wrote, and she's like, what do you mean? This is such an easy one. Fast forward to love, you know, let's yeah, get to the five years. I saw years. a few people writing that. And then there were other people who said, I would not lose a day in my life with my children. I don't want to lose five years with them. And then there was a lot of flip-floppers saying, well, I've been single and lonely for so long. I would pretty much give anything to find love right now. But then in those five years, you never know what could happen. And then you also, this is a good point, you don't know what you're fast-forwarding to. Like, what if there's a COVID 2.0 that you're fast-forwarding yeah. to? And Julie, I thought about like the last time I said I love you to someone was in uh, 2009, okay? And then my boyfriend, I said I love you in March of this year. So if, if this question were posed to me in 2009, and I was like, fast forward to the next time I fall in love, which is 2020, I would have fast forwarded to COVID. That's a good point. <laughs> well, I think another thing that did come up that I agree with is, you know, there's more to life than finding relationships. Like that's not the whole part of life. Like being single, like is not the end of the world. You have the most self growth in like different things that you can experience during that time. So for that reason alone, I would not fast forward. I would stick it out because mm -hmm. I just don't think that's all that's out there. Like, I think it'd be great to be with your person. But if you're going to be with them anyways in five years, like, what's the rush? You might as well enjoy all this other stuff. I'm going to give a little teaser of a guest that we have booked that's coming up, Case Kenny, that we're super excited about. Ooh. And I've been listening to some of his stuff and he has this journal that's called Single is Your Superpower. And I think what he was saying was so much of it I totally resonate with. The fact that like, this is your time to like build yourself and like understand yourself. So then when you are in a partnership, you don't lose yourself. Like everyone has different timelines and maybe you're saying, oh, I've already built myself more than enough and I'm ready to fast forward. But I think every day I learn something new. So I would not mm -hmm. fast forward. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. And in the words of Monica, our friend and also part of our Facebook group, she said, why is everybody so responsible with their answers? It's like the <laughs> responsible answer, right? No, life is too short. I'm going to you know, stay in the five years and not skip over. But it is true. I think about even just this may seem so crazy to some people, but I don't want to lose five years of my dog's life because oh. those are dog years. Okay, he's already yeah. nine. Yeah. And in five years, I don't know what's going to happen to him. Exactly. I don't want to lose those five years. That's like five and years with your parents, like five years yeah, with other five people. Years, five yeah. years with so many things. And that comes with personal development. A lot could happen in five years. I agree. And also falling in love is a little different than staying in love and maintaining a relationship. Yep. So what if you fast forward to five years, you do fall in love, but then you fall out right away. Yeah. Too many unknowns. I, I agree. I think, yeah, you just, you know, like you got to take life for what it is and everything is a building block. But what did the people say? What did our listeners vote in? I always love to know the final numbers. 74% said they would stay put and not fast forward. So that leaves 26% saying fast forward to love. Get Interesting. So it's pretty much the monopoly or the majority was saying stay where you are. Yeah. Being responsible, yeah. quote unquote responsible. Yeah. Well, I have news. I have my first socially distanced <laughs> date coming up this week. <laughs> this is the first one you'll be going this on? This is the first one. I've done oh, some video momentous. dates and some phone dates. This is my first date since March. 
Isn't that crazy? Like first date with someone new. I should preface it and say that because there was a period in between March and May that I was revisiting an old relationship. So that wasn't really dating though. I don't view it as, you know? So, and also that's when like COVID was at its peak. So when we were together, we weren't like going on dates anyways. We're just at my house. Yeah. (laughs) You're just hanging out. Exactly. This is my first date, which is so crazy, you know, like mask Mm -hmm. on date, but I needed that time to myself after. And honestly, I've been kind of like screening a bit. Like I haven't been rushing to meet every last person. And while I don't know if this person is my like soulmate, I can say that we had two really good conversations Mm. and it makes me comfortable to meet him. I understand his levels of, you know, feeling towards COVID, which match Mm -hmm. mine. So I feel like I was able to suss all that out and it may not be a romantic connection. It's hard to really know till you're in person, but I don't think I will go and have a bad time. Like, I think we'll be able to have a conversation, which is really all you could ask from dating at the end of the day. And what is this date? What does it entail? So we haven't fully figured it out. It's not till Thursday. We actually, we talked about drinks and going to Fillmore Street, which is like an area of town near my house in Pacific Heights. So we haven't like nailed down the location exactly, but it will probably, it will probably result in drinking and eating somewhere. Mm -hmm. And we actually had this pretty big debate on the Facebook group of, is a walk a good first date? Some people were very much pro-walk, like this is a great low investment way to just casually get to know someone and see if there's chemistry. And then other people were... Absolutely no. No. It was like, I don't want to carve out time in my schedule for something that doesn't feel like a date. And I probably fall more on the second camp of I've been on walk dates before. And to be honest, like they've never really been anything like they were either fine or it wasn't a fit. And I just feel like you're kind of setting yourself up for just a status quo date. And my personal opinion is I would rather screen people on video or phone first. So when I'm actually going on a date and getting ready to meet someone, I'm like going on like more of a date. That being said, like we've talked about before, if someone wants to make it like a walk to the beach and have a picnic or like a walking tour of the city, not just like, oh, we're going to like go on a stroll down the block that I can do myself. I have very strong feelings about this, Julie. (laughs) I am so strongly opposed to walking dates because psychology shows that the only way you can establish a strong connection with someone is when you make eye contact and you're facing Mm. them. Mm -hmm. The problem I have with walking dates is the same I have with movie dates or concert dates is that you're both facing forward. You're not facing each other. How do you establish a connection that way? Yeah. So I, I agree. I think a walking date only works if you're walking to do something. Yeah. I think it's also really hard to have like an in depth. I don't know. Maybe I'm just too like not coordinated, but for me to like walk and then also <laughs> have like a serious convo is very difficult where I'm like trying to like, you know, be witty and shoot the shit with someone and get to know them. Like I like to sit down and like do a more face to face deeper convo. Well, also, there are just so many distractions. There's streetlights, there's people crossing in front of you, there's cars. And so you can't have someone's full attention. I just think they're terrible for that. So (laughs) there was one point that was made in this debate that did get me thinking, though, of maybe changing my opinion, but I'm still not 100% convinced because I think you can get this from like phone and that stuff. But the feeling was that it's almost like very casual that you're just 
you know, just getting to know someone a little more organically. Like if you looked at like work and meeting through friends, it wasn't like expected to be romantic immediately. So sometimes some of the trouble with online dates is you get like all dolled up and you're going to like dinner or drinks or whatever. And it feels like more of an event. So then you're like expecting it to be romantic or not. So that was some of the logic. I don't know if I agree with it because I feel like people are still in a date mentality if you're meeting off a dating app. And I don't know if that just goes away because you took a walk. Yeah, I think it really depends on context. If you met someone through church, let's say, or through an organization, and you're like, let's hang out Saturday, want to go on a walk, that works because you're it's, yeah. you're setting up the premise that you're getting to know each other casually, but also with the expectation that you're going to see each other again because you both belong to this one organization. But if you're meeting off a dating app, I agree. The expectation is that it's a date. So let's make it an event. Yeah, I feel like a hike, even though it's the exact same thing, but you're in nature, I feel like that feels like even more of a destination. I think there needs to be a destination. Destination. You got to walk to something. And with hikes, you could get tired in the middle and like maybe sit and eat a snack and talk to each other. With walking, you could just be not facing each other the entire time. So I think if people want to do this, because I totally get the concerns of like in COVID times, it's a really good alternative because you don't want to necessarily go to restaurants. I think if people want to do it, they just need to give it a little more structure. Like Mm -hmm. we're going to walk to X and we're going to sit there for a little and then maybe we'll walk back or whatever. It can't just be like this ambiguous walk. I would love it if it was like, I will come pick you up on foot. Yeah. And then we're going to walk to our first spot. And then I have this second spot planned that's about half a mile away. If you don't mind, we just meander over there. That's great. Love that. I don't know if I'd want a first day picking me up at my house, though, because I don't want them to know where I live. That's true. (laughs) That's true. Especially on foot. You're like, oh, I can't run away that fast. Yeah, that's true. But maybe like we'll meet at this corner. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. (laughs) I I swear to God, though, if my date that I have lined up was like, let's go on a walk, I probably would cancel. So hopefully he doesn't pull that card. I don't think he will. (laughs) So hopefully he listens to this this episode. I know. Also, like I know people have been like, I've been really digging your dating updates. I think the one thing that I'm like a little like, should I be doing these? Because I would hate for someone to like listen and think that this is the only way reason why I'm going on dates with them. So I will give as much as I can. But if I, you know, like if there is something that actually blossoms, you might hear it a little delayed just out of privacy for someone else. Well, I, I think you should also have this rule, Julie, is that you would only talk about them in a way that you would also say the same things to their face, right? It's yeah. not about talking behind their back, but you're also more than comfortable to say these things to them too. Yep. Although a lot of my exes were like, I would have liked you to talk about me more. So who knows? Ew, really? <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> they want to hear about themselves. My boyfriend's the exact opposite. He's like, please He's like, don't, don't talk, talk about me. About me at all. <laughs> please don't. It makes me really nervous. I don't know what you're going to say. <laughs> um, but you know what? Today's a good episode. <laughs> so let's get let's dig ourselves out of this. Let's do a 180. Yes. Let's do a, a complete 180. Talk about putting yourself in sometimes uncomfortable situations. We've talked about fetishes and kinks on other episodes, and we're constantly looking for new ones because it's just so fascinating. so fascinating. And it's someone else's. This is something I had to um, realize recently is a fetish to you is someone else's comfort zone. Mm hmm. Let's not, what was it? Don't yuck their yum. 
Yep, that was the statement, which I think is words to wisdom to live by for not just fetishes, pretty much anything in life. Anything in life. So our guest today is here to talk about puppy play. UA's secret fetish. My secret fetish. Not so secret anymore. (laughs) Everybody loves knows I love dogs, but you'll hear on this episode that I also love being a dog. (laughs) That is no longer a secret. We've heard about puppy play years ago, Julie, I think through someone else, but we didn't really know how big this group was and what it really entailed and where the different layers. So I'm glad we got someone who has been very involved in that community to talk about. And there was on the episode, as I was editing it, there was a request to show some of the video, the footage of him in his puppy outfits on YouTube. Yes. TBD if that will come, but we will have stuff on social media and YouTube that will, you know, reveal this a little further. But this episode definitely opened my mind because I think also like in San Francisco, especially, I mean, there's a reason why like San Francisco has always been like a counterculture capital and like, you know, especially with like homosexual relationships really like taking off here and being like the place where everyone goes. So there's always been a like a norm here. But that being said, I've never like dug this deep into what this fetish is like we did with the diaper fetish episodes. If you missed that, definitely check that one out. But I think this one, I've definitely seen people in pup gear walking around, but I just never knew like the background of it fully. And I'm guessing if you don't live in San Francisco, this could be like super foreign to you. You probably have (laughs) never seen anyone in pup gear before. So, (laughs) you know, mind blown opening up. This is educational for all. I will always remember the statement, uh, monogamy is a fetish. Yeah. So think about that. If if monogamy is something you're used to, it, it is a fetish for other people. Maybe it's just not something that other people are into or they think it's totally out of the ordinary for themselves. And that's really yeah. what it is. Finding your interests and finding finding like the thing that you're really excited about. And our guest is really excited about puppy yes. play. He was like, please put up all the photos, all the videos of me and my pup cats. <laughs> we <laughs> yeah, will honor really that proud. request. <laughs> he's very proud of the costumes. I love them too. That's enough of a tease for this episode because I think, you know, people should really listen. Uh, <laughs> before we get to that episode, we do have some announcements, some really fun announcements. One being we haven't done live streams in a really long time. So we are going to do one next week. This live stream will be the beginning to kick off something even bigger. (laughs) How ambiguous can you be in one sentence? So we are doing the live stream on the 15th on Thursday night at 5.30pm through our Facebook group. We are going to try to record it though so we can get it out if you're not a Facebook user, but this is an extra push to join the Facebook group, which you know you've been wanting to do anyways. It's going to be great because we have so much planned. Like We're not going to reveal too much right now like there's been like a little project that's been brewing and we're super excited about it and we can't wait to share it all with you and if you just follow us on instagram or if you are in our facebook group that's when you get kind of like first look uh, at everything it's very exclusive behind the scenes so if you're really curious about what we're up to just um follow us on social <laughs> and <laughs> and another announcement is we say this every week but we really mean it uh reviews ratings please five stars on apple Podcasts. it really helps our podcast grow like julie and i created this from scratch almost five years ago 
almost five years ago. Almost five years December. ago. As independent creators, there aren't that many independent creators that have been able to get up in the charts. So you guys leaving us those ratings and reviews has really helped. Like there was a time that we were in the top 25 relationship podcast. Mm-hmm. So we would love to get up there again. <laughs> We'd love to be in the top five. Yeah. Or right top after Brene one. Brown, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Watch <laughs> out, Brene. We're coming for you. We're coming for you, Brene. Uh, we also love supporting other podcasts. So we want to promote the, this podcast we've talked about before. They're called the Magic Hour Podcast, spelled M-A-J for Mercedes and Jade, the two female hosts of the show. Their show is all about self-healing, introspection, and becoming a light for others, a show dedicated to uncovering life's most coveted truths, where they interview world-renowned guests from all walks of life, revealing the specific recipe for becoming a remarkable person. I love, love the sound of that. They also include a section in every episode where they relay what they call a magic trick. So it's kind of like our takeaways, Julie. Mm -hmm. They do this like magic trick, which is like (laughs) a little life hack of some sort that uh, helps you to just do better in life. Who doesn't love a hack? Everyone (laughs) loves a hack. (laughs) Yeah. Gauging by how popular our episode was last week. Yes. Hacks to looking your best. Oh my goodness. People love hacks. And we also have a message from our wonderful partner. We always say that there's no one size fits all solution to dating because everyone's so different. And funny enough, the same applies to hair care too. Yeah, that's right. We've all been there where a friend recommends a good shampoo that they love. And then you try it and you're like, I don't love it. So function of beauty is about to change all of that by formulating hair care specifically for you. How specific? Function of beauty has over 54 trillion possible ingredient combinations to make sure the formula is unique to you. And Julie, you recently had a chance to try it. Tell us about your experience. I did. I loved it. You got to like, you know, customize it on the site. I actually even was able to name it and pick the colors and I chose dateable colors and called it function of dateable. So it was super (laughs) fun. And yeah, I've just loved it. It's been like such a great shampoo and conditioner. And yeah, it makes me smile every time I use it too. And as the internet's top rated customized hair care brand, Function of Beauty has over 40,000 real five-star reviews, kind of like us. All of our five-star reviews (laughs) are real. So what are you waiting for? Go to functionofbeauty.com slash dateable to take your four-part hair profile quiz and save 20% on your first order. Again, go to functionofbeauty.com slash dateable for 20% off and let them know you heard about it from our show. Again, that's functionofbeauty.com slash dateable. (sighs) Deep breaths. (laughs) Puppy play. Are we ready? We're ready. Let's hear from Chris. Let's just get right to it, should we? We should just get right to it. Let's do it. We've we've talked about (laughs) fetishes before, and we made this distinction. Fetishes are very different from kinks. And we thought, well, we should really diversify what other fetishes are out there. And there's one we discover that is completely fascinating to me. I mean, I think all of them are very fascinating, but this one in particular, puppy play. I feel like you, if you were to have a fetish, this would be it. I think I I do have it. I just didn't have a name for it. (laughs) I think after this episode, you're going to be just you know, my 
mind blown and exposed to all new sorts of things. <laughs> I can't wait to open up my world to puppy play. <laughs> but our guest today, I want to introduce him. His name is Chris. He's 32 years old, originally from Spokane, Washington, and he's been in San Francisco for two years. His current status, I love it. He's hooking up and having fun, single and actively going on dates, and divorced. Wow. <laughs> That's basically you checked three of the five. <laughs> so what is puppy play? We had to look this up because I want to make sure we're using the right words here. And also we're, we're being very scientific on how we define it. It's a constantly evolving fetish, which already is like, obviously there's no one way to do this, where people have an interest in the role play as canines and their associated handlers. Historical records show it first appeared in Europe in the 17th century while gaining popularity with the invention of the internet in the 19th 90s. Chris, <laughs> would you add anything to this definition based on your experience? Yeah. So uh, a lot of puppy play actually has origins in a broader fetish field called pet play in general. Mm. And the first documented cases of some of these in the fetish community were actually out of the 1940s in the form of pony play. The, the earliest forms of it were in that community. And you can actually see some of the people that engage in pony play at Folsom Street Fair. They'll uh, be the ones that pull carts behind them. I, and it can be either men or women that engage in that, where you're either a stallion or a mare. So there's there's that realm. And the earliest forms of puppy play, which is uh, a dehumanizing form of dominance and submissive, started being documented as early as the 60s, but really caught up in, in popularity at about the year 2000 or so and later. So it's actually a fairly new thing to mm. become so popular within the leather slash fetish community. So we're going to go into puppy play in way more detail. Clearly, that's the episode. But can you, for anyone that doesn't know Folsom Street Fair, because we have a lot of non-SF listeners too, can you kind of like paint the picture of what pony play is a little more? Absolutely. So uh, for a broader context, the Folsom <laughs> Street Fair is either one of the world's or the world's largest fetish fair mm -hmm. that occurs once a year here in San Francisco. So they block off, uh, I believe it's like 13, 13 blocks here in San mm -hmm. Francisco where uh, fetishes are on display. And uh, there's a lot of aspects to this that are pretty subversive by a, a normal culture perspective. There's free public nudity, there's flogging in the streets, there's a, a bunch of other things on display as well. So pony play generally happens early on in the festival where there will be a group of people dressed up in various gear. This can include hooves that cover their hands, bridles and bits mm. tied to themselves. Uh, some of them have fully articulated horse masks as well, and they will often drag uh, carriages behind them with their doms uh, on the back there. So the people who are the drivers are the ones that are the, the sort of active dominant in that relationship. It's important to clarify that there is no bestiality of any sort in pet play. It's humans dressed up as animals. Absolutely. Not doing, not doing anything to actual animals. Just want to make that very <laughs> clear. I'm glad that we clarified clear. that. <laughs> yeah, one of the things about the fetish community in general um, is actually it's an extremely communication-based space. Consent mm -hmm. is, a, is very, very important because you have to define clearly what you're into and what other people are into. Because by its very definition, you're often into something that is not common or not uh, immediately understood by everyone. So that communication and consent aspect mm. is really, really important, which is why this is not bestiality where animals cannot consent. Uh, this is very explicitly something that's 
between two adults that have an understanding of what they're doing. I'm so glad that we like made the clear distinction that this is not like a fetish with animals. It's people like dressing up as animals. I think that's very important as we keep going. So I guess what got you into this in the first place? Like, how did you get here? Yeah. So when I was in graduate school a couple of years ago, I was involved with the gay community there. There was a leather scene, which basically means that in the gay community, there are people that will dress up in leather as a part of nightlife events. Uh, It's partially a statement of fashion, but also there's a community and history there. And it's something that as a graduate student, I didn't have any income, so I couldn't actually actively participate in that community. Uh, But once I- Did you wear, was it vegan leather that you wore? Leather? No, no. Leather. I had had one harness that I I could like, that I had as a splurge. And that was the one thing that I could have. Leather is is, is an extremely expensive hobby. just because it's really niche and the the goods that are made there, very high end kind of thing. So how I eventually got into puppy play in particular was when I came here to San Francisco, I got a job in tech where I was making a lot more money. And I went to a store here in San Francisco called Mr. S Leather. And uh, they have a lot of different leather goods on display. I was originally there just looking for a pair of suspenders that I saw online that I thought were really sexy. Uh, But then I I saw they have this entire section, uh, I believe it's called the kennel, dedicated to (laughs) a lot of this puppy play gear where they Mm. have masks and tails and leashes and collars. And I spent my first couple of months here going into that store once every couple of weeks, trying absolutely everything on because they're extremely friendly and welcoming to people that just want to try things on, see what's there. They're very informative. So they were like, hey, do you want to try this on? And I was like, yeah. Turns out that once I put the hood on, there was sort of a feeling of, oh, this is kind of nice. Uh, Like, oh, and there was a feeling there that's really difficult to put into words, but it felt kind of sexy and Mm. interesting. About two months into going to the store, bought my first hood, which I have since donated to another baby pup who couldn't afford his own because I have <laughs> several baby. others. Can you like, I mean, for anyone that's a yeah, visual learner, up. like I, I, like I've seen some photos online, so I know what it looks like. But can you describe it for anyone that just has no idea what this looks like? Yeah, what is a what does a hood look like? <laughs> yeah, so uh, there are a lot of different forms in which these hoods take. Some of the ones that are are pretty more accessible and familiar to people are just masks which are often used. Sometimes they have leather clasps on the back, but it's really common that they're made with uh, neoprene or leather. Uh, Some of them are also made with vegan materials because that's also something that people consider, or plastic. Do they protect you from COVID also? Uh, No, unfortunately, they actually (laughs) have have an open area. So I have considered modifying my pup hood with a filter so that I could go out in public like that. Can you imagine? Occasionally I do go on walks by myself in my gear. Nice. Uh, The actual hoods take the form of a full, coverage mask that you pull over your head. It, it clasps around the neck. The neoprene ones, you just pull over because they're flexible. The the leather ones have lacing down the back. Mm. And in the front, they have a design that makes it look like you have a muzzle. Oftentimes, they'll have eyebrows mm-hmm. and ears on them. So they're a specific form of a classic fetish mask where you've probably seen like the classic gimp mask, which has mm-hmm. a full leather coverage. It's the same fundamental there, but with additional pieces on the outside to make it look canine. Do you have any that you can show us right now? I do. I have two. So, uh, <laughs> I knew you'd be ready for this. <laughs> so this is my first one. Oh, it's it's leather. Beautiful. I have donated. So it laces up the back here. Um, and this is actually a Mr. S hood that 
uh, was my first leather hood that I got. And the one that I've actually become more known for is this one. Oh my God, that looks like a full on dog for anyone that cannot see it. It has like the nose, it's brown. It has full on ears. Post this video on YouTube because people need to see how beautiful these masks are. So for anybody just listening to this, go on our YouTube channel right now because you'll see the video. (laughs) This mask is so intricate. Yeah, so this is this is cowhide. This so this is a a creator that I saw his work in Chicago at a gay store there. He makes a variety of both animal themed masks and masks and leather superhero gear. Mm. Uh, So he's in that sort of niche fetish space. So this mask because it has fur, it's brown leather, which is less common. It's it's the one that gets a little bit more notoriety. Oh yeah, I was gonna say, but they look really hot. Maybe it's just been so hot in San Francisco lately, but my face is sweating just looking at these masks. Are they comfortable? (laughs) The one with the fur on it is more comfortable because it's open in the back. It doesn't actually have anything on the back here. So it's it's like a a saddle almost. Ah. Yeah. So it's a lot more comfortable to wear this one. The other one is a full lace-up hood where you have your your mouth exposed and your eyes. I won't say it's particularly comfortable, but when you're in the space, you kind of disconnect from that Mm -hmm. anyway. It's not really about that so much. So not something that I would advise for warm weather at all. (laughs) Well, but you made the point that this kind of spawned out of the leather culture. So I guess everyone's used to wearing leather all over their body. It's not like a huge surprise when they put it on. Yeah. And the comfort of these various materials is not key into the fetish at all. In fact, adjacent to the leather community is the rubber community, which is very Mm. much into like full body latex. Wow. By its very definition is not breathable. It's not comfortable. You literally have to cover yourself in in some kind of lubricant just to get into the clothing. Oh my gosh. So it's it's definitely not about comfort per se. Yeah, I was going to say, thinking about like all the different attire at Folsom Street Fair, none of them look overly comfortable in the no, slightest. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> have you seen my dog hood? This is a, a mojo hood. He's made out of real made dog, out of a dog. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like you need like a white one <laughs> to like mimic mojo. And you t- yeah, for anyone who who can't see i've just brought up my son mojo he's, <laughs> he's next to me but oh my gosh this is so i'm like learning so much already so i know that in the definition of puppy play there's a handler and there's a canine do you have a particular role that you prefer or do you like switch back and forth and what is the difference between the two also for all the noobs you know <laughs> absolutely so uh puppy play traditionally was a modification of classic dominant submissive master slave relationship, whereas instead of being what it was terminologically a daddy and a boy, became more of a different kind of dynamic where there's a handler who, or a trainer, and a pup. So the pup is the one that follows commands, is obedient to the the handler, but it's a little bit more, I would say, affectionate than a master-slave relationship mm-hmm. where it's, it's much like an owner and their dog, where there's an obvious power dynamic there, but there's still affection involved. Right. So that's mimicked in these relationships. However, not all pups have handlers. Not all pups want handlers. Some pups will have relationships with other pups instead. Some of them believe in like alpha, beta, omega dynamics where they'll have sort of interpup thing. I am bisexual verse switch 
anything that has multiple fields of, of interest, I like all of it. So I like men and women. I like being dominant and submissive. I like being a pup and a handler. Mm, you're open. I love it. Yeah, I like a lot of things. <laughs> Let's hold that thought for a second. We'll get right back to it. This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATABLE at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to viahemp.com and use the code DATABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's viahemp.com and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from Via Hemp. This episode is made possible by Armoire. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out. Listen, I live in Southern California. There is absolutely no need for puffer coats or any sort of those winter jackets. But when I travel anywhere else in the world in these cold months, I'm often burdened with the task of getting winter clothes. And now with Armoire, I can just rent my winter wardrobe. It's brilliant. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash datable. That is armoire.style, spelled A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast, Exit Interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives, from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. <laughs> Wait, wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. And feedback that will make you swoon. But she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? <laughs> and maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, knew I was going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wait, but how do you switch roles? If you already have the dog hood on 
And and then you want to be the handler. Do you take just take it off and then you switch roles? Time out. Yeah. <laughs> Generally, when you're doing some sort of fetish scene, and that's often what they're called, it's called a scene, where you have some sort of understanding about how you're going to be gathering together. What is the, the dynamic and the agreement involved? So if it's explicitly a pup scene, that can occur either in private or in public, where the understanding is like there's a clear delineation of how roles are going to be involved there at that time. Now, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes like the play can go for a certain amount of time and then you're like, okay, let's take this off and just get to sex because that's kind of where we are. <laughs> it is an impediment in a way. So, okay. So could you walk us through like, is it like a pup party? Like, do you yeah. just like, are you on like websites to find other pups? Like, how does everything go down? Yeah. So there are a lot of different ways that people get into this community and get involved. In almost every city in the United States, there are pup meetups. Mm. Um, the pup meetup here in San Francisco was held at the Eagle, which is the, the main leather bar. It mm. was called Woof. Uh, where you would meet up on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon. So it's just, this is an afternoon event mm. where during the daytime, they bust out some wrestling mats and a whole bunch of pups mm. put on their gear and just do a play. It's called, it's called moshing, where uh -huh. the pups will literally play. They'll wrestle, they'll play with dog toys, they'll lay down and, and get pets and cuddles. Uh, so it's like it's like a dog boarding school. <laughs> Have you ever gotten like someone that didn't realize what it was? They just thought it was like for dog lovers and yeah, showed dog up? lovers. <laughs> Like, it's a dog meetup. <laughs> Wolf. They're like, this is not what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Generally, uh, I think most people are are pretty aware that if you go to the Eagle in particular, <laughs> it's, it's kind of the, the showcase for a lot of fetish events. And plus that evening, the Wolf evening leads into the furry night where people mm. are in full on plush costumes. Yeah. Uh -huh. so, and some people stay for both because they're in both communities. So there, it's definitely, especially here in San Francisco, in other cities, people might be a lot more or uh uncertain or confused by somebody wearing a dog mask, but I have walked from my gym a couple blocks away from the Eagle in a dog hood, a leather harness, like leather shorts and boots a couple of blocks and people don't even look. I've That's totally seen it before on the street. Me too. Like, it's like, Me too. I don't think I knew the full extent of the fetish though. Like I thought it was just like part yeah. of leather a little more. I don't think I yeah. like realized the sub community that was happening. And it can be both. Also when people think fetishes, they think about like wearing as as least as possible and this is like the one fetish where you're trying to wear as much as possible let's put on the leather and then the hood and then end in a furries party where you're wearing a full on full on furry costume. That's obvious. Those are different communities for sure. Right. They're, not, they're not actually aligned. There is a lot of overlap because there's that dehumanization aspect in both of them potentially. Just to like clarify, there, there is a, a significant portion of the community that actually just uses this as a form of expression that mm. don't include this in a sexual mm. context and that's actually predominantly what I use puppy play for. It's generally for me something that happens in public. It has to do with a form of exhibitionism. It's also a form of immediate and accessible intimacy and affection. So I will go to bar events at the Eagle. So they have these Sunday bar yeah. events where I will wear my hood, walk around and let people pet me because it's fun. Chris, when you say, because you keep using the word dehumanization, when you use that word, in what context are you using it? Is it like a, a positive thing or is it, I, I guess I'm not understanding it. 
Yeah, so that word has a very negative connotation to most people. The same thing with objectification, where、mm-hmm. people think that that's a very negative thing. But in the fetish community, this is the goal of what、mm-hmm. a lot of people are trying to achieve.、Oh. This is something that turns people on. The idea of being made into someone's object in a master slave is something that actively attracts some people. In the same vein, that being dehumanized, being treated like an animal rather than a person, is actually something that's attractive to pups, or or a lot of them anyway. So there's something very freeing about not having to engage on the same level as other people. You don't have to pay attention. You don't have to speak.、Mm-hmm. You don't have to. There's this headspace called pup headspace or pup space where people will oftentimes get into while they're in that modified headspace. It's almost like you're a different person. I, as somebody who spends most of my waking hours in a very cerebral, fast-moving tech space, completely disconnecting from that、yeah. to just be like, well, I don't have to worry about any of that. I'm a dog for the next two hours, and I'm just gonna like lay here. And、mm-hmm. if people want to come up and pet me, that's fine. <laughs> But in the same、yeah. vein, it's like there's. A lot of like respect there that is not necessarily for like a master slave thing. If I'm a pup and I have a handler for the day, or if I'm walking around, I expect to be treated much like you would treat any stranger's dog. Like ask ask my handler to pet or you come <laughs>、oh. up and approach. Oftentimes, there's an agreement between pup and handler that I trust my handler to provide consent for me, and I don't need to、oh, to make that. So there's a lot of different ways that people approach that, and there's a, a lot of degrees. I consider myself more of a, a stray or a lone wolf. <laughs> Where I don't really have, I don't really have that. I'm like the village dog, so it's like I I kind of go around from house to house. All、uh, the love. <laughs> And do you pee on hydrants? No. So I mean, I won't say. I, so I will. I don't personally. Some people take the the dog metaphor very thoroughly, all the way to like physical things. There are certain aspects of pup play that I don't. Really find all that fun. I actually don't like moshing all that much.、Mm-hmm. I don't like wrestling.、Mm-hmm. I don't like、uh, squeaking with dog toys. I don't like howling.、Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of people that really do. They like going, like leaning into that. I generally prefer it as just a quiet, almost meditative space where I can be observant without being a participant and just. Disconnect. So I have a question for you because I know you mentioned that it's not always a sexual thing for you,、mm-hmm. but you mentioned when you first figured out you were into this when you were in the store, you got turned on by it. Can、mm-hmm. you kind of give like what that distinction is? Like, is there still a turn on even if it's not sexual? Yeah. So I would describe it almost like. A garment that you would wear that you feel particularly attractive、mm. or se- or like sexy、mm. in. So it's it's not like you want to wear that sexy leather jacket while you're having sex. Right. It's, you're wearing it because it makes you feel sexy and powerful.、Mm. When I'm actually having sex, I prefer not to have. Any of those things involved, even some of the harnesses, which are made to be held for more traction or like the ability to grab someone, I generally don't even like those involved because I like more freedom than that. Got it. So it like gets you in the mood. It get like turns you on, and there's like a sexual energy, but it doesn't need to be like during sex. Absolutely. I though I have done it during sex as well. Got it. And then,、mm-hmm. like, what's the community like? Like, is it mostly gay men? Is it a variety? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, I will say that the puppy community in particular is predominantly gay men, though there are、uh, female pups as well. And the community itself is actually really diverse. I will、mm-hmm. say that it leans a lot younger. There are、mm-hmm. especially a lot of pups in their late teens and、oh, early twenty. Wow. wow,、um, really young. Yeah, so it's it's a very accessible fetish because it doesn't have as much of the 
old guard sort of rigid leather expectations that there's a lot of tradition involved because it's a fairly new thing it's a lot more accessible it's a, it's almost silly in a way where <laughs> yeah. you're you're free to just let go and silliness is not historically a part of the leather community which is pretty notoriously stoic but there are a lot of different people and there are pups that are older into their 60s and i am actually good friends with a couple of them there are pups that do it as a hobby there are those that do it as a lifestyle. There are packs here in San Francisco where it's collectives of pups that live together Oh wow! Um, that are in either a polyamorous group relationship with each other, or they are just in a collective group more broadly than that. And there are people that consider themselves leather pups or just pups in general. There are people that don't incorporate it into their identity. There are people that mm. do. I know people that explicitly, they wear a chain with a dog tag at all times. Mm. They might have tattoos that identify them as a pup. They actually interpersonally identify as that. Mm. For me, it's a very fun and fulfilling hobby and and fetish. And do people identify with specific breeds of dogs? They can. And <laughs> uh, they definitely do, especially when you start getting things custom made. Some people lean into just the colors or something where they're like, I'm a green pup. So all of their gear will be green. Oh, um, okay. And others will be like, no, I'm a German shepherd or I have a temperament that follows this, this certain thing. Uh, but that's, that's less common. And there, there's a variety of these other communities that actually bleed over into other sorts of, of gender breakdowns. Like pony play, which is less common, is more inclined to heterosexual fetish community as well. But there's also uh, sort of kitten play, which mm. is the parallel to this, which is a lot, often a lot more attractive to women. So that's oftentimes a, a submissive form that, uh, say, a, a female submissive would take. Yeah, I can totally see why this fetish would skew younger. Because I will tell you, last time I was on Molly, my boyfriend and I decided to see what it'd be like to be a a puppy for an hour. I knew that we you were going to be into this fetish. Oh, yeah. We were into it. We put our treats in the actual dog food bowl. Okay. <laughs> we sniffed them out. We like crawled around the apartment and my knees hurt so bad after this. I was like, I'm too old for this shit. Knee pads. I would like to be knee a dog. Pads. Knee pads. There You're we go. <laughs> this is something that like, if you are actually moving around like a dog, there are, there's explicitly gear for this. There's knee pads. You oftentimes need some sort of knuckle protection. So people will use either like MMA gloves or full on boxing gloves so that they can mm. continuously walk around because naturally humans are not, uh, we're not built <laughs> right. to be walking so around you're not on too all old. Holes. You just didn't have the right gear. I need the right gear. So how do you yeah. like go about getting into the community, finding the community? Like how do you even know where to start? So I'm asking for UA. So she knows how. <laughs> <laughs> asking for a friend. <laughs> that happens to be on this call. <laughs> oftentimes it's as simple as finding a, a fetish goods store. They're mm. oftentimes the best resource for a lot of this. So especially those that are purveyors of some kind of leather good. Uh, and, and by leather goods, I specifically mean fetish leather goods. So they'll be the ones that make restraints, harnesses, um, other sorts of fetish gear. They can often direct you to those various areas. Another one is considered leather bars in general. So mm -hmm. there are eagle bars across the country, which are predominantly gay bars, but those are also available. Also, there's a very thriving and 
active community online. There are various meeting groups that are there. I'm not really involved with many of them, but it's really just a simple Google search away. <laughs> so there is an app that some men will use that I haven't personally used called Recon, Ooh. which is like, it's like a dating app explicitly for fetishes. There's also FetLife, which is yeah. a more mm-hmm. generic version of that, which is it has both a gay and straight contingent on it. So this is a great segue into your dating life. Like how sure. does pup play show up in your dating life? Are you on like the dating sites? Like do you, do you put that in your profile? Like do you go on the apps that are specifically for pups or FetLife? Like what is that look like for you? <laughs> yeah, so uh, currently my dating presence, given that we're in a pandemic, is really reduced. I'm not going on new dates with people that I don't already know that aren't a part of my bubble. So that's been massively reduced from where it was previously. But I am uh, on one app called Scruff. It's uh, Scruff, that's a great name. <laughs> so that's it's actually not explicitly for pups. It's generally no? just for for like furry dudes. Mm. It's an alternative <laughs> to Grindr. Because for those of you that can't see me on video, I'm a very hairy guy. Oh, I'm telling you, the gay apps have much better names. Oh, so than the much apps. better. So much like, better. This is, these are so like brilliant. Bumble, okay. what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, what the fuck is Bumble? I don't care about bees. I care about Scruff. Scruff is, Scruff is awesome. And also, one of the things about Scruff is when you like someone, it's actually you woof at them. You, oh, you put a so cute. I feel like I would use that dating app so much more because it's actually fun. Yeah, it'd be like so, a game. In that profile, I mentioned that I'm a pup. I give my pup name, which is Puck. So it's cute. I'm after Midsummer Night's Dream. I have pictures of myself in my pup gear. And that's one aspect. I have had dating relationships where that are not fetish oriented, where that made them uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's as much as like somebody being very disapproving or uncomfortable with a hobby that you're passionate about. It's something that you really need to approach with somebody if it's important to you, if it's not just, you know, a minor interest, and it likely isn't given the expense involved in getting full gear. uh, That's something you just have to communicate about. But that's a pretty well understood facet of the fetish community. Mm-hmm. So it's not a deal breaker for you if no. someone's not into it. Mm-hmm. No. And in fact, most fetish play, most people that are in the fetish community have an understanding that there's some degree of non-monogamy simply because you're often not going to find somebody that can completely satisfy everything that you're looking for because you have your own unique set of kinks and fetishes mm-hmm. that may not align with who you are necessarily partnered to. So I actually had this come up in a past relationship of mine that I was a lot more vanilla than my partner wanted to be. He actually had some concerns about it because it was definitely something he wanted to like pursue. It was the first time I think in my life that I thought about, okay, is there a solution that he could get this elsewhere? You know, like if it wasn't something that I would be down Mm. to do. And I think especially because it's not always a sexual thing, like you were saying earlier, like, I mean, there's a sexual connotation with it, but it's not always sex. Like there's ground rules that you could make with a partner if you were willing to work together, even if you're not typically someone that's non-monogamous. But I could see even in what you were saying as someone that is non-monogamous is just giving a lot more flexibility to different fetishes and openness. Yeah, a really good parallel that I found that's more accessible to sort of traditional heterosexual couples is the negotiation that goes on around anal sex. Mm. So like Mm. oftentimes there are partners 
partners that are only into vaginal sex or only that are really interested in anal sex and their partner might not be. And that tension that's involved for somebody who's really into one sexual practice and the other one isn't oftentimes leads to sexual incompatibility in the relationship. Mm. Um, And there are ways that you can approach that. And that's the exact same thing with fetishes. If it's important to somebody and something that they really enjoy, they will either put those things on a back burner, which oftentimes is not particularly fulfilling and doesn't bode well for a fulfilling relationship, or they have to find that sort of source of stimulation elsewhere. Yeah, I think the way I was thinking of it is I would never want to like hold someone back from that side of them. So I would almost rather them find it elsewhere. Like I think being open to it is the first pass. But if you're just like really not comfortable with something, then at least there's other options that you it doesn't need to be a deal breaker necessarily. And the the fetish community in particular is that there are a lot of benchmarks because there's a lot of degrees of what people are into. There, there's a, an expectation of respect there, that mm-hmm. there is an understanding you will not be into everything that everyone else is. There are mm-hmm. some fetishes that turn my stomach. And if that is that is fine. I don't need to talk about it. <laughs> the, the phrase that I, I've heard that I it, I don't like it, but it's accurate. Is don't yuck someone's yum. Where if like somebody else likes <laughs> no, it, <it's> you. True. <laughs> That's great. That's a great phrase. So there's there are lots of degrees there of how you might approach this kind of of play and the negotiations that are involved in a relationship there. And there's different levels too, right? Like there's different levels, and like I think pup play could be a fun entry level too because it's actually sounds like it could be just fun and silly. Yeah. So. It, oftentimes pup play can be as simply as simple as almost a form of like costume play where you're like i'm gonna dress up like a dog i'm mm-hmm. gonna act like a dog it's silly it's very light it's jubilant it's non-sexual in any way that can then move on to either more sexual oriented play or it can move on to more discipline oriented play where there's like active training involved uh it can move on into very strict discipline oriented play which can oftentimes have like a sort of training or torture element. Oftentimes training in the fetish community often means pushing the boundaries of a submissive within their consent boundaries. There's a safe Mm -hmm. word often involved where like the submissive is in control. They're the one that can stop that at any given time. But this can go all the way to like, you are just theirs to use, where they're like, they will use you as they want to. For some people, that's a huge turn on. For me, it is, for sure, under certain contexts. But my tastes go all the way from a very vanilla, silly puppy play all the way to consensual non-consent or rape play. So there's like a lot of, there's a lot of distance there. Huge rape. You mentioned something earlier I found um, super fascinating is you talked about identity with this fetish. I get, I think there's two different ways. You you either dabble with a fetish or it becomes part of you. Mm -hmm. And Julie, you and I saw this when we went to that sex party in Oakland, where for the sex positive community, some people really identify with it. There was a woman that was very open with how she told her coworkers about this lifestyle. And then there were other people who did not want their coworkers to know. So where is... Where are you on the spectrum of identity with this with this fetish? I identify with the sort of metaphor involved there. There, so like you probably can't see it. I have a giant like werewolf tattoo. Mm. Um, 
that I personally like the duality of like man and animal. I like the ability to disconnect. But for me, it's what I would call a really fulfilling hobby. It's not, it's not my full identity. Even if I have like a pup name or any of those things, it's really only used in certain contexts that I find appropriate. It's not something that I live day in, day out. Some people do have, they are a pup. They are someone's pup at all times. Their relationship dynamic with somebody would be very dominant and submissive that is like built into their every interaction. For me, mm. I would definitely grate against that in the context of dating. It would be like, sure, I'll be your dog. But then when we're done with the scene, we're equals. Mm. And mm-hmm. that is really important to me. So the dynamic of being a pup all the time or being someone's pup or being someone's boy, it's not for me. It's not the, the kind of way that I approach it. When it comes to being open about this in, say, the workplace or with my friends, I gear that towards people's curiosity mm-hmm. simply because I, one, I'm, I'm very passionate about having a productive and thriving career. I recognize that fetishes are not something that is workplace appropriate, even if it is a large part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that I fully respect and I don't share um, in the context of the workplace. When it comes down to like my friends, even for them, unless they ask questions, it's not something they really need to know about. Much right. like there are some people that will overshare about any hobby that they have. And that's <laughs> yeah. generally not interesting. Yeah. So you kind of leave it to people to ask questions if they're, if they're curious. And also there are some people that they view it with almost apprehension or even disgust where mm. they don't understand it. It's a form of just lack of familiarity. Oftentimes it's the same thing, the same kind of impulses that lead to like homophobia from uh, lack of familiarity, where it's something that you don't understand. It's not something you personally relate to. And for some people that are exposed to it, it's like, oh yeah, he's in a puppy play. Sure, fine. And for other people, it's like, that is freaking weird. What's What happened to that guy in his past <laughs> to make him like this? So it's it's just a difference in, in perception. So have you had anyone that has been like, I will not do this or I will, like judges you for it in a relationship or anyone that you've like come in contact with on dating apps that you've really liked that this was kind of a deal breaker or did that, has that not happened? Oh, it totally has happened. It's absolutely Mm. happened. Somebody met me uh, at a party. It was very much so like I was just in my, my everyday clothes. We, we hung out, we hooked up. It was great. We ended up going on a couple of dates. Uh, One of the dates he met me at a bar that I hadn't planned to see him there. And I was in full head to toe pup gear. He didn't say anything about it at the time but at that point was non-existent. And I learned through friends that like, that was a hard no for him. Uh, Which for me, I don't want to, I think entering into a relationship with the expectation that people are going to change from the get-go is a really, uh, especially if they're apprehensive to something, it's not not a successful strategy. Right. Well, I think it comes down to the level. Like you said, that guy was clearly very anti it if he was, you know, stop talking to you and all of that versus someone that, you know, might not be down with it, but they're open to it or they're interested Mm -hmm. in learning more. I think there's like all ranges on the spectrum there. Yep. And another question about the community. Do most people have actual dogs? That varies a lot. So unfortunately, I love animals. I'm actually like a trained, I'm, I have a PhD in biology. So I, I, I love animals. Unfortunately, I'm allergic to most animals (laughs) as well. So I don't have a dog. I love animals. I love dogs. Uh, some people do have dogs as well. Some, I would say that of the people that I know are pups, uh, I think most of them do have dogs uh, yeah. as like a, a separate thing. 
Um, obviously, their relationships with their dogs have nothing to do with <laughs> no. their their puppy play, simply because they're they're very distinct. I wonder if it yeah. does gravitate people though that like are dog lovers. You know, like there's something about it that's yeah. I don't know. I there's would think so. There's I would an envy. So. Like there's I, an envy there. Like I like dogs. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not the same level as like UA is. So I feel like the fact that you were like crawling around with your boyfriend for t- like potentially, yeah. I would never do that. Like that just would never cross my mind because of just I don't know. Maybe I don't know why I made a correlation to love for like dogs. Maybe there isn't one. It's totally coincidental. But but I also study my dog every day. I mean, I study his behavior. I mimic him. I actually think I would have a leg up in pup play. I would just be like a really natural pup. But I also am very jealous of his life. And sometimes I look at him like, damn it, I wish I were a real dog. That's actually one of the one of the main draws to this specific sort of fetish and exploration is for people that have seen dogs and the kinds of relationships that they build and the kind of actions that they do. It's like dogs have kind of charmed lives yes. where they they are loved and they get mm. to be silly and they don't have like they're contextless whereas mm. humans are very context specific. There's this especially but like a lot of dogs will approach someone they don't know and mm-hmm. they're like Hi, I love you. And that mm-hmm. from an, a human to human interaction is extremely jarring and off-putting. And so there's a jealousy of that mm. ability to make that kind of immediate affectionate connection. And as a pup in a community that's accepting to that, you have that. That's yours to do. So not only is it like expected, that's something you're completely free and willing to do. So approach somebody that you're interested in and just park next to them and they can like pet you or not. So that aspect of being familiar with dogs and the life that they live often leads to, well, I want that. And that's yeah. the non-sexual component. So the the other angle is the enjoying somebody being commanding of you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you see how there's a, like a spectrum of these things here where some of it is just appreciating the freedom of that dehumanization that I was talking about earlier, where just let the human things, the human limitations yeah. go. That's really That's fascinating so that it goes like more into affection and just play in general, too. Shall we kick off takeaways? Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm lifting them out in my head now. I have, I have takeaways about this fetish and just takeaways in general of how we can apply some of the things that Chris said. I think for this fetish in general, you know, I looked up the definition of fetishes again because I always have to refresh my mind. And... On one side, it is sexual. On the other side, it's not sexual. We have to remember that. And I think the non-sexual side is you have a strong like for something. So we all have fetishes of some sort. We need to destigmatize this word fetish because if you look at how anybody describes it, it's like abnormal or it's extreme. It's not that. It's just an, it's just a strong like for something. And I really like that context of looking at that. I also love this idea of identity. This is why I asked that question. As we come out of quarantine, we've had a lot of alone time. There are some opportunities to tap into this newer identity. Maybe you dabbled into a new hobby or learned a new skill. That becomes a part of your new identity and we can keep evolving with that. That could be a fetish or that could just be a new skill. It doesn't really matter. But welcoming that in makes you a a much more open-minded person too. Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway is something Chris said about this being like an escape. And I think that sometimes Mm. we think of fetishes as being purely identity and it definitely can 
can be, and that could be part of it. But you hear all the time of people that are submissive are usually high powered at work and just want a freaking break in the bedroom. So it's like, it doesn't necessarily mean that whatever you're doing sexually is who you are outside of that. It's a component of who you are because it's not just, you know, you're one person somewhere and another or the other place. It's you as a person in general. But I think that it's the judgment and all of that. Like you just don't know like fully kind of someone's story and what is turning them on and all of that. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, yeah, like this escape mentality is so interesting because it allows you to, you know, like get to know yourself in a different way that you might not see on a day-to-day basis. Kind of like what you said with the first time you put on the mask with the years and how that made you feel. I had goosebumps listening to that because I cannot remember the last time I put on something that made me feel so sexy and powerful and like a brand new person. I think we should all find that somewhere. Maybe it's like an outfit you haven't found or, you know, it's like it almost gives you superpowers. Yeah. And I would, I actually want to comment briefly on something you mentioned about these things being abnormal or like not being abnormal. And I think that they actually are abnormal. And the thing about fetishes is it's appreciating the beauty in abnormality. Mm -hmm. So it's like understanding that just because something isn't common or normal or well understood doesn't mean that it can't be fulfilling or beautiful or something that you identify with very, very strongly. So Hmm. the entirety of the fetish community is about discovering those things that you like because you like them, not because they're they're popular or well understood. And Mm. the great thing about the fetish community is we are not collectively all into the same things, but we're supportive of each other for what we like. Mm, I love that. I stand corrected. (laughs) Everybody be abnormal. It's a great thing. I think I do want to like reiterate that one phrase that you said, Chris, don't yuck somebody else's yum. I think that is so important. And we actually had an episode about diaper fetishes. And it started because the woman that we talked to had been like propositioned for a diaper fetish and her immediate reaction was to shut it down. And we did talk about it on that episode, how it's all about hearing someone out and maybe you're not going to be comfortable with it. Not It's not for everyone, every single fetish, but I think immediately shutting down someone makes them feel like very unheard and very unseen. So at least ask questions, at least try to like understand it. And I think also like depending on the relationship, maybe you would enjoy some of it a little more. Mm-hmm. Like maybe you just don't know. Like I know I've been there before, things that I thought I wouldn't like, I actually ended up enjoying. So it's staying open-minded and not just being like... I'm not going to do this or this is weird or all of that. It's really trying to like, yeah, take it all in and don't yuck somebody's yum. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, Honesty, honesty, communication and trust. You need all of those things when you're breaking into these kind of communities. It's really important to, um, you should not feel pressured into any sort of fetish activity for sure. Um, It's okay to feel uncomfortable to give something a try, but a healthy dominant submissive or a healthy fetish connection is with somebody that respects your boundaries boundaries as well. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really important because there's a common depiction of this sort of play as by definition abusive and it can be as much as any other relationship can. Mm. So again, 
every relationship can be framed in something that's healthy, even if it's not normal. Yeah. And I think also we talked about too, if it really is outside of your boundaries and what you want to be doing, there's always other options. So it doesn't have to be so like black and white, like I'm doing, like we're together, we're not together because of a fetish. Like maybe you can let someone find that elsewhere and it won't be a problem for the relationship. I guess keep an open mind is the big Big picture takeaway. (laughs) Always a big picture takeaway. And Chris, since you are on the Dateable podcast, what does it mean to you to be dateable? I think that being dateable is somebody that is open to interpersonal connection for whatever that means. And frankly, it's just about openness. Somebody who's not dateable for me would be somebody that is is not open to another connection. Either they are overly focused on on themselves and not interested in in branching out. But yeah, I think that dateability is <laughs> is also extremely subjective for like what I would consider a, a dateable connection. Love it, fantastic. And do you, if people want to get in touch with you, want to ask you more about puppy play, could they? Yeah, that's actually really interesting. So you can uh, you can get in contact with me via. I believe Instagram has has private messaging that you can reach yes. out to me. My my profile is uh, fuzzy underscore lone underscore woof. Uh, <laughs> Great name, best <laughs> handle ever. <laughs> there there are some there are some pictures of me just as me. There are also like I believe one picture of me in pub stuff. It's pretty new. I'm pretty new to Instagram in general, but also I'm happy to to answer questions there. Cool. And you can always reach out to us too, and we can always forward them along. So (laughs) absolutely. Yeah. Fully reaching out and then having connected to me via email there would also be fine. Cool. And for anybody who wants even more information or you can write this down, we'll have it all in our show notes as well as on Instagram at Dateable Podcast and also in our Facebook group. If you haven't joined yet, love in the time of Corona by the Dateable Podcast. And if you love us because we love you, five-star reviews, please, in Apple Podcasts. We <laughs> yes. love it, love it, love it. We'll give you lots of licks and hugs and what what, what else do dogs get? Treats? <laughs> Snuggles? We'll give, you some, we'll give you some nuzzles. We'll, we'll yeah, rub nuzzles, on you. Tummy rubs, all the tummy rubs you want. We really appreciate it because we love bringing on great guests like Chris. And just to open up our mind, that's that's what makes dating so exciting. It's like to see this big world that's out there. And we're just exploring just a little bit, a little sliver of it. Super great. Thank you so much, Chris, for your time Thank and telling you. us your experience Absolutely. and your story. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. <laughs> we're going to wrap this up. Stay, Stay dateable. dateable. <laughs> so good. <laughs> The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Want to continue the conversation? First, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at Dateable Podcast. Tag us in any post with the hashtag Stay Dateable and trust us, we look at all of those posts. Then head over to our website, datablepodcast.com. There you'll find all the episodes as well as articles, videos, and our coaching service with vetted industry experts. You can also find our premium Y series where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We're also downloadable for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher Radio, and other podcast platforms. Your feedback is valuable to us, so don't forget to leave us a review. And most importantly, remember to stay dateable. Mm-hmm.